This is Rita Matuzik, and you are listening to the Real Talk, Real Results podcast, the show that does not sugarcoat B2B marketers' everyday challenges and discusses actionable, realistic solutions. Today, we're talking about how marketers can survive the shifting economy um, with Ram Sahu, CEO of Unbound B2B. Ram, thank you for joining us today. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, your expertise? Thank you so much, Rita, for having me. And uh, I like the motto that you have for the show, Real Talk. So that's that's really nice. Uh, well, my name is Ram, and uh, I'm co-founder and CEO of Unbound B2B. I'm a passionate technology salesperson, actually. And uh, that is how I got into this business of uh, helping salespeople and um, eventually grew into a marketing agency. Thank you. Thank you for telling the audience about yourself. And let's get right into it. So we're talking about, you know, a lot of marketers are facing challenges in today's market. Um, We're being asked to do more with less. Some of us are finding ourselves completely rethinking our marketing strategies, our demand gen plans, ABM, all of it. Um, What are you experiencing? experiencing firsthand when you're out there speaking to buyers about their current challenges? Well, honestly, uh, uh, you know, budget cut is a real challenge right now for, and especially within the technology industry, the small to mid segment tech companies that are, you know, trying to make their own space and uh, solving real problems. uh, They do need a lot of budget for marketing and awareness, but budget cuts are not helping. The most difficult part I feel uh, that I have firsthand, you know, experienced with uh, my clients or with uh, my friends in the marketing industry is that uh, the budget cuts come with layoffs. So uh, that's the hardest yeah. part. Yeah, that's the hardest part. So, and um, marketers have to shift their strategy and then rethink about how they're going to still hit their annual goal and with lesser resources uh, and uh, lesser, lesser um, uh, budget. But um, I think, uh, you know, this this was a scare a little bit, uh, you know, at the, at the beginning of the year, I think Q1, Q2. But everybody's adjusted to it well now, and I'm seeing that there's a good response uh, in the market, uh, with marketers coming back with very effective strategies uh, that are very cost-effective too. Um, so one of those is that uh, you know, in the, especially in the B2B world, everybody's brought their focus back to ABM, wherein they know that you know they you know they can address a micro market and keep growing their business within that micro market. So yeah, no, I, I think that aligns. Probably many, many of our experiences. Um, And I like, you know, where we were talking about how a lot of us are, you know, with those resource cuts experiencing not just resource cuts with budget, but also with people and things are getting a little bit less rocky. And, you know, I think one of the strongest strategies B2B marketers have is the focus on ABM. Have you seen there be a shift in the way that marketers are planning their ABM strategies now versus, you know, before when things weren't as tight as they are? A lot of marketers who have been working on ABM strategy for several years or several quarters, they already have a lot of insights into those accounts. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, retargeting is a strategy which is helping with, uh, uh, which is helping the marketers. There, there have been major cuts on the paid media side and, uh, you know, the companies are relying on uh, lower paid media budgets. I mean, depending on how the budgets are allocated, but uh, what I've seen is there have been budget cuts on paid media. Like now they're not recklessly spending money on search uh, search engines and bidding, yeah. bidding for those $100 clicks. There is, a, there is a shift in the way how they're spending 
especially if, even if they're doing ABM. And then other than that, I think um, what is very helpful uh, in this kind of economy is that, you know, repurposing some of your content uh, that you've already had uh, and then so stop producing new content. I mean, unless it's necessary, uh, you don't need to produce new content. You can repurpose some of the old content that you've been that you've published the previous year or, or even this year and reuse that for targeting because there would be a lot of new audience that you have acquired over a period of time that hasn't engaged with that new content. Uh, and then um, as long as the content is relevant, you can continue to do that. So uh, I've seen that happening um, in terms of strategy. Um, you know, companies are looking at performance-based marketing as a strategy, uh, you know, and then again, it all, it again comes to the agency level wherein the agencies are now asked to perform at a performance level, right? So nobody wants to yeah. now allocate, nobody wants to now allocate like a half a million, million or a bigger budget. They want to say, okay, I want to, I want a guarantee of cost per lead and then, you know, a guarantee of number of leads. So that that is that that shift has happened, and I think all of this, all of this change that has happened, is is for good because um, uh, you know companies have started realizing that uh, you can't be just spending money towards future acquisition. You also need to make sure that the acquisition that you've made today, that is bringing you the ROI, uh, you know, and then then you make necessary investments in order to continue the uh, continue grow your business. Yes, absolutely. Um, I want to go back to what you said um, a little bit earlier around the investment strategies evolving and becoming a little bit more targeted. What would you say are some of the best channels right now to be on um, when you're facing, you know? like a more limited budget or a budget that has more eyes on it and you're looking for, you know, a higher rate of return. So again, we spoke about ABM as a strategy, right? So, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of channels, uh, email is my favorite channel because, uh, you know, it's virtually free once you, uh, once, yeah. somebody, once some, somebody subscribes to it. Uh, but other than that, um, you know, so email marketing is number one. You need to, companies need to focus on getting more and more opt-ins more cost-effectively. And, uh, you know, search engine and uh, uh, search engine marketing or search engine uh, ranking is not necessarily the only way to do it. Social media also can bring in you a lot of opt-ins. Uh, what I know of is, uh, you know, platforms like Meta, the cost of acquisition per lead is very low compared to LinkedIn, but you need to augment your audience correctly. And then there are, you could partner with, um, you know, uh, with um, lead gen agencies who can help you get more opt-ins. So, uh, at, at a lower price. These these opt-ins basically allow you to generate, you know, continue to market to your targeted audience at a very, very low cost and effective manner. Um, uh, besides, uh, you know, email marketing, I think social media is still very relevant. Uh, brand awareness is, uh, brand awareness is necessary. So if you're cutting budget on some, some, something like a paid media, then maybe social media works because social media, you already have a followership uh, there is a way to organically grow and, you know, increase your reach in social media. Uh, you know, deploying those strategies can help you to save dollars as well as continue to be relevant with, with your marketing strategy and continue to educate your target audience. And last but not least, I think programmatic advertisement is great because programmatic advertisement allows you to uh, take advantage of uh, machine learning and AI, you know, you know, in order to how you're engaging with your audience, how you want to, how you want to target them. What uh, you could you could set strict goals in terms of what your uh, cost per mile or cost per click would be, and uh, you know keep optimizing those based on where you are publishing. 
So these, I think these are the three top strategies I would recommend in terms of, uh, you know, sorry, top channels that I would recommend, you know, when, if you're doing ABM right now. Yeah, I love, I love the free channels, the ones where, you know, we spent a lot of money in previous years to generate leads across all different pages channels. And then a big thing that we ask ourselves is what next? How do we continue to market to people who have already engaged with us? And, you know, given us kind of that first party intent signal of showing an interest, what happens next? Um, Leads me to my next question, which is around intent data. Um, What's your perception on, you know, do you find that marketers understand what to do with intent data, whether it's their own, you know, owned first party data, Mm -hmm. um, any type of like web analytics intent data, any kind of, you know, data that we can get from tools like Bombora, Sixth Sense, Demandbase, you know, what's been your kind of take on that understanding in the industry? Well, I, I like what we have, what is happening with intent right now. And, uh, but I am, I'm a pro first, first party intent data pro. So, you know, as long as it's my own web um, uh, web properties and I'm able to track intent directly, that is that is what makes more sense. Uh, third party intent is yet to grow. I mean, it's it's nice to have, but it's yet to grow, right? I mean, I'll give you an example. Let's say your your target you have a, any any target keyword, and based on that target keyword, I you are you are identifying uh, an account list or a company that that you want to target. But let's say that company has 5,000 employees. How are you going to determine who is that person or who these people were who were searching for these keywords and how are you going to even target to them? You know, reaching out to 5,000 people or 10,000 people is is virtually very, very expensive, right? So in a third-party intent, how I recommend third-party intent is that, you know, you you have your ICP, you take your ICP, create an ABM layer, so create an account based, account-based marketing strategy or create account list, based on um, your ICP. And then you put an intent layer on top of that, right? So within within your ICP, yeah. if you create a list of accounts and within that, if you know that some of these accounts were searching for these keywords, you might want to prioritize those accounts within your marketing strategy. And as far as uh, first party intent is um, uh, concerned, right? I mean, there, there are tools that help you to identify first party intent. <laughs> there are some tools which are very expensive. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So might be uh, so you know generating intent data is 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 difficult. But what is necessary here is to understand this, right? So if you're tracking activity, right, look for those buyer signals, right? Uh, because um, intent just cannot be that you know uh, x number of users or users visiting uh, a particular site with search, certain search keyword or with you know reading certain content. Uh, you know, it needs to be very user centric. So, you know, as as far as you can redefine how these users, uh, who these users are, and you know, narrow down your target. I think intent really works, uh, especially in the first party intent data scenario. Like, I, I can give you an example. Like, um, yeah. Let's say, I, let's say I have a uh, Albacross or Lead Feeder or Sixth Sense on my on my on my website. And if somebody, uh, if a user, if if a user is navigating through uh, through a particular solution that we offer, now in that case, right? I mean, you def- you first of all you don't know that person, right? Because you're just looking at a cookie cookie uh, data right now. But what if you prompted an opt-in, or what if you prompted a chat at that moment, right? And if you if you get in an opt-in now, you started identifying that person very quickly. Now that is how intent can actually help you. 
And now what is happening is you're not only looking at uh, the companies that, uh, that, that are showing interest in your product or services, but you're also looking at the exact person who is showing uh, showing interest in your product and service. And it's good, good to be here. Uh, it's just expensive. Somebody needs to make it cheaper, I think. Um, one of the things that, you know, we work on um, in terms of intent is I think there's a really interesting opportunity to layer that on top of programmatic advertising in your targeting um, that I, I've seen be underutilized. Um, so that's an area where I, I think there's room for exploration. Um, and then also depending on where you get intent data, right? Like G2 is an interesting platform. And if you have all of your web properties connected properly, you can get really interesting intent signals from people searching for solutions on G2. And you can pass that over to your sales team to help them better understand what's happening in the accounts that they care about. Um, but that's getting into a lot of integration with systems and making sure the proper operations teams are in place. So a lot of as we as B2B marketers have a lot of codependencies on other teams and functions to make sure that we're all successful, which does lead me to um, something I'd love to dig in with you. So sellers, not just marketers, B2B sellers um, are experiencing buyers who are a lot more cost conscious and risk averse right now when they're comparing brands, making purchases. How can marketing teams help their sales counterparts identify solid business opportunities that are likely to close? Well, you know, uh, we, we spoke about intent, we spoke about, you know, yeah. and strategies, but uh, what we didn't discuss was um, basically analytics and tracking, right? So, you know, marketers, yeah. marketers can actually track, track, track in order to make sure that, you know, they can prioritize the accounts that will help sellers to close faster. What is the uh, what is important here to understand is that uh, the 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 layer between marketing marketing and sales team the sorry marketing and sales team the SDR layer right that is that is that is where actually you are able to identify uh, you know which accounts uh, will close uh, which are likely to close very uh, soon so you know one is tracking obviously all of that uh, history historical data that you are able to track and keep in terms in your CRM. That enables the SDRs to customize their pitch. The SDRs are then able to interact with uh, uh, with the individual and understand their priorities and the needs. And based on that, they can qualify those leads in order to send to this thing. So the SDR element is really, really important in order to yes. ensure that sales sales is successful. And then on the sales side, obviously, uh, you know, uh, if you've done everything right, uh, if you've if you've got the right account accounts that you were targeting, right? If you, and within those for those accounts, obviously, you need to have right case studies. You need to have right content content and material to be this thing. So if marketing has done their job correctly of doing the brand awareness and generating leads within the same account, increasing the engagement from those accounts, and then SDR setting up those meetings, prioritizing uh, prospects who have shown higher intent of uh, you know conversion. Um, those those will get quick wins for sure. Yes, yes. I I love what you said about the SDR team, right? They're really the they're the first human touch, many times the first human touch that some of these leads um are gonna have after they've been engaging with digital content, digital environments, um, you know, of course, anything that is like in person, um, any kind of event, there, there's going to be a lot more people interaction. But the SDR function is so vital to the success. Have you discovered 
anything that you would advise um, our listeners and how they can better work with their SDR teams to better enable them to help them understand the kinds of marketing investments we're making programmatically so that when they go to have those conversations, they, they can really be that conduit, that glue that, you know, kind of holds us together and also helps progress, you know, a lead from being an engagement to ideally an opportunity. Right. So again, awareness is a big thing over there uh, with SDRs teams too, right? I mean, everybody at each touch point needs to be aware of what is the journey of a contact from being a contact to becoming a lead, right? I mean, it's a very tedious process. It's not easy these days to just get a lead, yeah. and, you know, close, close. So for, right from A, needs to understand the efforts that goes behind that, you know, the SDRs and the marketing team that is doing, and then SDRs need to understand that effort. Besides that, what is important is that, uh, you know, everybody in the team needs to be aware of not just the tracking and the analysis that we are, we are doing, uh, but also other facts. For example, I was talking to a CMO recently that I can't name, but I loved interacting with him for the reason because, um, you know, when I asked him what is your uh, cost per lead acquisition, he knew exactly what that amount was. And, um, you know, he could say exactly how many, what is the cost per meeting that his A is costing. And then, uh, you know, he could also talk about um, if a lead was of certain quality has shown certain uh, uh, engagement with particular type of content, then what percentage of those contacts will convert into meetings. And that kind of insight was amazing, right? So that that was very impressive. Yeah. So that is that is what I'm talking about. So the CRO or the C, uh, CMO, they need to be, they need to first not just know this information, but cascade this information and make sure that everybody in the team knows about it, so that they become more accountable, right? So if you if you tell yeah. if you tell an account executive that the meeting that you're going to be attending today costed the business twenty two hundred dollars, so if he's aware of that, you know it it. it the naturally the accountability comes there right i mean you you could see that so yeah so increasing that accountability within the team with uh, and by providing them the right information uh, i'm not saying that you put pressure on them i'm just say, say, saying that you uh, you know there is there is a reality on which the business runs and that that reality you know everybody in the team should be aware whether junior or senior doesn't really matter yeah no i i agree i think understanding the right metrics of success yeah just at a programmatic level, but all the way up to business success is really key for teams across an entire organization to be successful um, and also to understand where to make investments and understand where there might be gaps. Um, and, you know, that kind of level of detail helps inform the strategy for right now and, and for later. Um, so I, I definitely agree. And so I want to check in with you on different ways that teams can utilize resources right now. And so, you know, the theme of our conversation today is, you know, the environment of economic and resource constraint. And where do you think it fits in for B2B marketing teams to work with external agencies? Um, or should they be focused on optimizing internal resources, knowing that they're facing these constraints? Or are we looking at some type of a hybrid solution for, you know, being successful for, you know, completing all the work on our plates and biggest of all, right, like growing opportunities and revenue for the business and making sure we continue to, um, you know, bring in that business so we're not seeing further resource constraints. 
see one is that every almost everybody right now has a resource crunch because of the shift, shift that has happened right and um, and then with that the need for agency has gone up for sure but regardless of the current situation let's just say this economic economic downfall was not there or this this the strain on the economy wasn't there and the inflation wasn't this high banks were not not charging so much of interest rates yeah. so that VCs could have funded more, you know, so all of this has a rippling effect, uh, the domino effect, would you you, you could say that. Yeah. But um, the, but even if this wasn't the situation, I think agencies are very important to to, to our enterprise world, especially in B2B marketing. It, and, but then you just have to make sure that, you know, they complement you, right? They make you, they make you better than who you are as a marketing team. And there are ways that agencies can help you is because, Agencies are working with very similar companies or organizations globally, right? Um, they might be able to bring you the knowledge and industry information that probably you did not have or would have spent thousands of dollars just to learn that or would have spent thousands, hundreds of hours to learn that. So they just if if they're bringing you that in kind of information, if they bring that kind of value, they just make you look good. They, they, they make you run faster in your strategy and um, um, win more than, than you lose, right? And then other yeah. than that, the other than that, you know, marketers, uh, I, I do want to talk to, I do want to say this to B2B marketers that, hey, you cannot, um, just because you do not have a legion resource, that's why you would outsource to a legion agency and then get it from them. Or just because you do not have a developer to maintain your website, that's why you want to outsource to an agency and get a developer. I mean, all, that doesn't make sense. You need to have a very strategic alliance with an agency. And then again, you cannot increase your codependency on one agency. So you've got to, you've got to have multiple agencies. Again, this would also depends on how big your enterprise is, how big your marketing budget is. Yeah. Based on that, you want to make sure that that is done. But uh, yeah, working with multiple agencies bring you brings you that much of information and uh, knowledge. But then again, I have rarely seen uh, B2B marketers being inquisitive about what the agency is doing all they care about is what they're doing about what is that what is that they're doing for them or what is that they're going to do yes. for them. uh they, they're not they're not asking right questions they're not asking them hey what's happening in the industry right you work with 10 more companies like ours what is happening there what are your learnings right what is where, where you, what do you see is the trend what is the shift all this information is free of cost available through an agency and you don't need to wait for Gartner to publish a report on that you know, you can, yeah. you, have, you can have that information and uh, use that. But um, yeah, agencies are an important part of the whole B2B marketing piece and um, they need to be there. Just make sure that they, they're the right fit for you. That's about it. Yeah, I, I love what you said about it being a partnership. Yeah. And that though we need to rely on all types of resources, the strategy, the expectation, the communication of, you know, what do we need to achieve together? What can we learn together should be a part of that conversation. Um, I love that. I think um, everyone in the B2B space and the enterprise space knows that we are always learning. Like what we did last year, what we did two years ago, we just keep building on that and growing and evolving from there. And, and I love the idea of using your agency resources as a learning resource from what you're seeing you know, out there in the industry, what others are doing, what we could try, do better, A-B test, you know, all of that. I love that. Um, and one final question for our audience, um, like what is your final piece of advice about just navigating this economy and, you know, our hope is for the future? Well, to be honest, uh, you know, uh, 
as soon as as soon as we see the uh, I I spoke about the domino effect, right? So as soon as there's yeah. a chip that happens there, it will automatically have that effect. So it's not that far. I'm already seeing market responding really well. Uh, I mean, uh, this is a very personal experience. So it's not some data that I'm speaking about. I'm talking about uh, ten custom, you know, eight out of ten customers asking me for you know some kind of a next level move or rather sharing budgets with me versus you know one or two in the last quarter so i'm already seeing that shift how to navigate the current situation you know um you know i in, in my personal opinion and i've always done this right whenever times have been difficult for me i just put my head down and i go to work and i do my job that uh, and the nuisances and uh, around you just focus on what you're doing work with what you've already got I, whatever you have is already enough right i mean if if you had if you're working with a 50% or 40% of your existing budget and you've still been able to do that for the last six months, you should go through the next six months too. That should not be a problem. And um, for everything, there is a solution. So keep looking for that solution. And it doesn't, money is not, money, yeah, it's also not a problem, but not all problems. So uh, there's always there's always another way around. Well, thank you so much for your time today, for all of your insights. This was so lovely. Thank you for having me, Rita. Thank you so much. 